Uh, I I moved uh, to Brooklyn, and then just like a couple weeks after that, this whole coronavirus thing started, and uh, it's pretty strange and weird, and it's definitely throwing a lot of things in in my life sort of into disarray. And uh, I'm definitely sick right now, and I'm not sure with what. Uh, so I've been sort of hanging back in terms of working uh, and just trying to get a lot of rest. Uh, with that said, I you know I did want to get this uh, this a podcast out to you guys on uh, this first Thursday of the month of April. And so what I uh, came up with was um, about a week or two ago, I had a conversation with Richard Terrell, who's been on this podcast. Uh, either once or twice. Uh, I get confused because I had another podcast before this podcast back in the day, and he was on that as well. Um, We've talked a bunch of times before, and we have very different uh, philosophies and worldviews on game design, I think. Um, But uh, certain things we obviously have in common, and uh, one of the things that I like about his work is that he's always been striving to find, you know, good words to use to talk about game design and good, you know, intellectual tools for talking about game design. So we had a big conversation. Now, this is this was not a planned conversation. I didn't really ask have questions planned for him or anything like that. Um, But, you know, uh, I think we we just sort of like we're chatting. So it's a little bit more of a laid back just chat than most of the conversations I would normally post on the podcast. But uh, with that said, um, you know, He's a very smart guy. We talk about uh, some basic game development stuff, uh, and we talk a lot about Smash Brothers, which is a series that I have played a lot of. Uh, I've been playing a lot more video games, actually, recently. That's the one good thing, is whenever I get sick, I can enjoy video games again. Um, and so I've been I've been playing a bunch of uh, different stuff. Um, but yeah, so the, the uh, Clockwork Game Dev show is going really well. This week it's off. I'm hoping to get back to it next week. Um, I'm starting to feel better and better day by day, so we'll see how it goes. Um, ideally, I'll be better by uh, this coming Monday, and I'll be able to do a show. Uh, if you haven't yet, I definitely recommend coming by there sometime. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Keith Bergun. I'm, I'm doing the daily show there. Anyways, without any further ado, uh, please enjoy my conversation with Richard Terrell. Life is kind of crazy right now, but that's that's just how it goes. Well, I wanted to ask about that. So you're, uh, where are you now living? Uh, Austin, Texas. Okay. How are things in Austin, Texas in terms of quarantine and all that kind of stuff? Uh, we're all, I think the mayor said stay in the house. Everyone stay in their houses. But um, as far as infections go, there have only been two reported that I know of. So okay. probably a small amount. Well, that's good. Uh, but it's it's been has it been causing any kind of weird craziness? Our business is shutting down, things like that. Uh, I think some stores are just closed for the foreseeable future, like Walgreens and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not sure how the restaurants and local farmers markets and things are going to adjust. So mm-hmm. I haven't really been out of my house. Yeah, out of my apartment. Well, if you're like me, you were quarantining before it was cool. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, th- th- that's that's one thing I'll say is like th- for someone like myself, this is actually I was thinking like 
I have to put myself in other people's shoes. Like imagine if, cause a lot of people like hate being stuck in their house. I'm not one of those people, but imagine if there was some kind of disease where it was like, you couldn't go in your house. You weren't allowed <laughs> in your house. That's how I can empathize with other people. You have to hang out at like parties and concerts all the time. All the time. You can only go home just to sleep. <laughs> and then you get up and you get back out. <laughs> that's that's how I can empathize with uh, people who yeah. but but yeah for me it works out really well but I you know uh, it's also very disruptive and very strange and scary mm. especially here in New York you know I just moved to Brooklyn by the way like a month ago so like kind of bad timing there perhaps but um, oh. yeah but it, it's kind of cool I have, a, I have a nice apartment so it's um, it's pretty it's legit it, it worked out mm. um, are you still working at your at your day job yeah, working from home. Okay. Adjusting, is that, making adjustment to how that is. How is that? How has that been? Uh, is it, is it, what's difficult about that, I guess? Um, the way it worked at my office was people walked around a lot and had a lot of conversations. You could overhear things and jump in and mm. kind of just get a sense of what's going on, uh, intermingle with different departments just because people are walking by. So now all that's gone. Um mm. So just that alone is kind of different. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's tough. I think we're all, I know that uh, at the game center, uh, they're, they're, they're doing these like huge Zoom chats with like 40, 50 people in them sometimes uh, mm. to like either teach classes or just have faculty meetings. And it's just, it's, uh, it's pretty weird. And I think we're all figuring out how to make this sort of work for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how about other things? How is that affecting your, um, I don't know, do you have more time for other projects now or do you have like less time or, um, and what are your other projects that you're working on? Is the Mario workshop still going on? Yeah, the workshop concluded last December and in general, I think I have more time to work on things. It's because less travel time, you know, hmm. uh, less time spent going to get food and like less time going for walks and things. Right. So I can kind of feather out my work and really just balance it a lot better and just go by f- what I feel like doing a lot more mm-hmm. than I could before. Right. Well, that's cool. But yeah, yeah. We're still working in the, the design-oriented uh, community, looking into uh, finishing up Enlighten. I stopped programming it and working on it about two years ago. So now I'm just going to put that final coat of paint just for fun. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah. So let, let me, let's go through the timeline because you, oh, um, a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, you started working on that wheel, which I have open here, the DO mm-hmm. wheel, uh, which I thought was really interesting and impressive. And I hadn't seen something like this before. Um, uh, maybe you want to give people a rundown of what this is. Just, uh, I don't I don't know if this is at all something that you're still thinking about, but, um, I thought it was a neat thing at, at the very least. Um, so yeah, what's what's the status of the DO wheel? Tell people what it is and stuff like that. I have it on the screen. Yeah. The DO wheel is a visual uh, representation of the concepts and terms that we use uh, to more precisely talk about games and game design. It's color coded, starts at the top center like a clock and you kind of work your way around clockwise. Um, the topics drill down hierarchically so you can kind of and the very fringes see what super specific topics might be and then closer to the center of the general uh all-encompassing major topics and it helps people see just at a glance uh how much 
how many different things you can talk about, how some things are stacked a little bit more than others, uh, and so on and so forth. It gives examples in each category, and uh, it really does help focus conversation on one thing or another, because people tend to start a conversation and blend a lot of these, and that just gets really complicated really fast. Right. So it's kind of helpful. Uh, we, we put it together many years ago, and I never got around to like filling in the missing definitions, and it's, it doesn't work on mobile, so <laughs> just one of those old projects. Sure, sure, sure. But uh, but I can see why, like, so I think, um, and I was looking at, I was just going through some of your old stuff and just kind of reviewing things of yours just to kind of, like, refresh myself and, and know what to, like, talk about. And, um, you know, one of the things that you wrote on your old blog, uh, Critical Gaming, uh, was, you know, it's a game, it's a blog about game design and language. That's, like, what you sort of, your mm. subtitle for it. And other designers have talked about this too before. And I feel like this wheel is a really good way to try to like, just be able to point at what are, what is it that we're actually talking about? Right. Like, yeah, yeah. and, and how does that, how is that connected to other things? I also think like, you know, the, probably you could have different versions of this wheel, right? Like you could have, I could imagine things arranged in slightly different ways. Like this is not necessarily like the, the like you know uh written in stone exact way that things should be broken down but like we have to make a choice at some point about how we're going to break things down right and mm -hmm. um so it may be a bit prescriptive but um it, we need to use those kinds of things in order to like be able to communicate with each other mm -hmm. yeah no that's really cool um and has this been have you actually used this in your like do you find yourself like sometimes or have you found yourself being like well, let's like go refer, refer to the wheel and uh, kind of, you know, actually use it in its intended way. Yeah, a lot of the people I chat with, uh, when they're looking for specific terms or trying to clarify what they're thinking, they go to the wheel and uh, it helps them narrow down uh, and specifically talk about something. It's all in my head anyway, so I can just help people out. Sure. Uh, but yeah, they, they like the colors. <laughs> <laughs> the colors are great. And I, I like the just the interactivity of it. It sort of just feels good to like move around the wheel and like slide into the different subcategories and stuff. Like I could feel this. I can imagine this being, uh, I don't know. I think that, yeah, that this is really, it could be very, uh, a very cool thing. Um, so, but this is not something that you're focusing on now. Right now you have your main job. I would like to ask you, I don't know how much you can talk about your job and like what you work on or how you sort of like feel about it or how mm -hmm. much, how, like how much I, I was reading about, um, for what was the game remnant, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, you, you did some, uh, monster designs and stuff like that. Boss designs, yeah, things yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about that at all? Like, what was that experience like? And like, you know, what did you, I don't know, what did you learn? Because you weren't, you were for your whole life, I think, not in AAA. And then the last yeah. two years you went into AAA. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm just curious to see, like, wh what's that like? Like, what, I don't know, what what's the experience like? What have you learned? How, how has it changed your perspective on anything, et cetera? Yeah, um, and you can, you can pop over to design-oriented net slash Richard to see some of the specific uh, bosses I worked on. Okay. Slash Richard. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was an interesting experience. Lots to learn. Uh, at first, just poking my head around at different things and um, learning what the, the proprietary systems were like. And eventually I got to work on these well, multiple mini bosses, but these are three of them that are mm -hmm. in the game Remnant. And um, 
had a lot of freedom to try a bunch of things, experiment, talk with people, uh, get a sense of what the what it was like developing a game in AAA, uh, how many different specialized roles there were and how important they were. Uh, a lot of things that I had suspected from reading interviews and doing stuff like that, but really getting the firsthand experience was really helpful. Um, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I realize now I'm like I'm sort of I'm sort of running this as though it's an interview, but I, I didn't really have interview <laughs> questions planned. Uh, I kind of just wanted this to be a chat, but uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So so I don't know. You see yourself working in in this uh, in this kind of work for uh, you know the long run, or do you see yourself wanting to work more on your own projects, or do you? How, where, where would you like to, is this eventually what you would like to do? Or would you like to like kind of do like lead design on a AAA project or, or how do you, how are you feeling about that? Yeah, I'm always doing stuff on my own anyway. And sometimes those projects require more attention, sometimes less. So it's always a balancing act. It's nice to have a, a, a paycheck and it's nice yeah. to uh, get other benefits like insurance. So, you know, if my side projects ever get big, it's always just a question of making a call one way or another right? and pursuing that. So yeah, I, I like tons of projects, big, small, and um, there's no room in AAA for super small projects. So it, right. it just kind of depends on what the season's like, I guess. Did you, because uh, you seem like, uh, especially with these workshops and everything and your, your blogs, like it seems like uh, a, a natural idea for you to also think about teaching. I don't know if that's something mm -hmm. that you've been considering or interested in at all. Yeah, I just recently started <laughs> networking with uh, the staff at UT and some mm -hmm. of their game-oriented programs. Uh, just keeping that conversation going. I like teaching. I focus on it a lot. And trying to make that work somehow in this crazy climate is a different challenge altogether, but it's yeah. also something I'm looking into. Cool. Nice. Well, all right. So what are your projects? What are you excited about? You're working on, uh, you're finishing Enlighten now. Do you want to tell mm -hmm. us a little bit in, about Enlighten? Yeah, Enlighten's a, you can uh, scroll all the way down if you want to see a screenshot of it, but Enlighten is a puzzle game uh, that where you learn how to learn. And I took a very simple kind of common known puzzle game uh, and I, oh, that video might actually talk to you. It may just show you clips, yeah. Uh, so I took a puzzle game, and by playing it, there are many modes. <laughs> um, you can just play it straight like a puzzle game, but usually you're going to get stuck because it's got uh, escalating difficulty curve. Um, and by engaging with the game's other features, uh, you're supposed to help better understand what your brain's going through and then also how learning le works in general. Hmm. It's it's got some neat social features, so if you ever think you're unique or alone in a particular aspect, you know, linking up with a friend and seeing their progress gives you a really concrete way to compare uh, your experiences with theirs and kind of debunk some assumptions that people tend to make. Like, uh, what are some of those assumptions that uh, so, come to mind? A lot of people think they're a lot worse than they are, uh, that uh -huh. other people are just smart, they get it automatically, and that uh, they're always slow and behind. But if you compare the times that people put into the game, their initial curves are almost all the same. Hmm. Uh, but some people just feel terrible about it and compare hmm. themselves with no actual comparison. That's interesting. Yeah. I like that social aspect of it where you're kind of, you know, realizing that everybody is 
that that's really a, that's a, a fantastically interesting point of data alone just that everybody's curve is pretty much is largely the same um i mean i guess the the only exceptions to that probably would be if someone had specifically already built up the skill in this yeah. particular puzzle right yeah um yeah so that and that's another thing about like people think about like sort of like intelligence and that like really smart people are just super great at everything you know it's like no <laughs> yeah. you know it, there's people build skills they have skills in certain things or they don't you know and it, and, and it mm. takes time to build those skills um what originally made you want to make this because this is such a this is such a strange um project honestly like i've never heard of anyone making anything like this um but i i'm i'm also not like i don't know puzzle world very well and it may be that <laughs> there, there's something in the world that uh, people are talking about things like this but this is so weird and i'm just curious what what um what inspired you to want to make this in the first place yeah i've always loved puzzle games and then i get a ton of uh joy and excitement out of playing them and thinking about them uh, so whenever I talk to other people, I think um, somebody did a survey once and the two least favorite genres among all gamers are puzzle games and platformers. Hmm. So a lot of people just don't like them. And I originally started dreaming up the game as a way to show other people why I enjoy these games so much. And a lot of the tools that I develop are based on how I think and how I approach the game and what I think makes it a lot more fun. Hmm. So then when I make the tools and I see people go from, I don't really like this to, well, this is really neat. They're like, oh, that's the, that's the thing in my head that you never had before. And I hmm. didn't see how I felt. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a pretty legit answer. Um, I, you know, I've, I've, I actually should play this, especially if you're going to be finishing it and kind of putting mm -hmm. final touches on it. Uh, let me know when it's done. I'm sure yeah. that you'll post around about it, but uh, I, I should play this because maybe this is something that can make me like puzzle games more because <laughs> I, I am one of those people who doesn't like puzzles. I'm actually surprised to hear that you say that a lot of people don't like puzzles. Mm -hmm. Um, because uh, it seems to me that that puzzles are, are very popular that like, you know, that they they sort of appear in console games of all sorts, like, you know, Zelda for many, many years and still is, you know, largely uh, based around puzzle solving. And um, so it seems to me that puzzle solving is, is very um, it's just like everywhere. You know, it's like ubiquitous in especially in console game development. Mm -hmm. Um, even if they're, but I don't know if that's like, do you consider that like a different thing? Those kind of like, you know, Metroidvania kind of lock and key, uh, puzzles, lock and key. Yeah. I said that right. Yeah. <laughs> the, the stuff you get in a lot of adventure games, um, hmm. you know, kind of punctuate the experience and they're oftentimes based around, uh, environmental understanding. So that more naturally works with exploration and the kind of things players like to do in those games anyway. Right. Uh, a lot of players still struggle with those. Um, and it's kind of different when the puzzle game is more abstract and all there are, all there is is puzzle after puzzle after puzzle. And people right. don't, the novelty wears off really fast for people. Hmm. And, I, and I think a lot of people like puzzle games until they get stuck. Uh, and, and if they get stuck and have a frustrating experience and it's just more being stuck of the same kind of stuff, they quit. But in adventure games, they get to do all the other stuff, the story, the exploration, the, the combat. Yeah. 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 No, I, I mean, my favorite puzzles uh, applications I've seen before are ones where it is pretty abstract. Like um, my favorite puzzle thing that I've played probably is the Professor Layton games. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's because with each puzzle, it's like a completely different thing. It's usually pretty abstract. It's it's totally self-contained. I find that um, 
there's like a genre of puzzle game where, well, actually most puzzle applications are the same style of puzzle. Like, like for example, this here, you got the five by five thing, um, the same style of puzzle over and over again with many different, uh, you know, increasing difficulty puzzles. And yeah. for, for some reason, I, I don't know why, I guess, I don't know if you thought much about like, what's the difference between that kind of a, puzzle a collection of puzzles and a collection of puzzles that are all like one shot you know like this weird mm -hmm. knot or like this weird uh logic puzzle kind of thing um where in because in Layton you're not really building any particular skill I don't think so much because each sure. puzzle is totally different I don't know if you've thought much about that and like what would make that appeal to somebody more or this kind of puzzle appeal to somebody more because actually the one thing I will say for this kind of puzzle is it's very skill based so it's, in that sense it's it's actually a little bit more related to something like strategy games which is my um, my love uh, mm -hmm. you know what I mean um, so I don't know say some stuff about that if you want yeah <laughs> Professor Layton I love that series played six games i think there's eight games in the series i'm like six is enough <laughs> yeah but uh like you said every puzzle is very different there's only a handful of puzzles in the game that actually continue with the series like uh there's a night night chess puzzle where you kind of go around the chessboard and mm -hmm. professor Layton 2 did three levels of difficulty for that but then no more right so you're really not learning any one skill uh each puzzle is a world unto itself oftentimes with its own rules and interface and and art style um so they advertise professor layton as being a collection of brain teasers and that's a pretty cool way of kind of comparing the more traditional puzzle design to oh a collection of way unrelated teasers and brain twisters or whatever mm -hmm. uh but yeah it's totally true with layton and then the opposite style like this is much more akin to the kind of knowledge and heuristic stacking that you need to uh win and beat a strategy game Mm -hmm. That's more akin to what Enlighten is doing. Right. Yeah. And also, also Enlighten, you get hints on every single puzzle, right? Who doesn't, oh, yeah. <laughs> who doesn't want three levels of hints on every puzzle? <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, um, so let's see. Um, I also did... I wanted to just talk to you about fighting games, because I feel like you're kind of a... You know a lot about fighting games. Um, can you tell me about your background in fighting games? Did you ever play any game, uh, fighting game professionally, or did I imagine that? Yeah, Smash Bros. When the melee, yeah, melee and to brawl, I was going to tournaments a lot more and being a TO, uh, so that was fun. Nice. Uh, I played games like Marvel vs. Capcom two and so Caliber, like very casually, and I okay. dabbled in Street Fighter. But yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you. Um, well, and also I should mention your game Barabari Ball. That that game does not get talked about enough, in my opinion. That's that's my favorite thing that I know of of yours. Um, uh, in terms of like uh, all the projects I'm aware of, um, because uh, I just thought that it did uh, it did a few things, and we've talked about this probably before on mm -hmm. one of the times I've had you on my show. But um, it did a few really brilliant things. The most brilliant of which was um, having a ball, like a third thing that is not the players. You know, like one of my issues with fighting games is I love fighting games where the characters are sort of far apart from each other, but then when they get really up close, like touching each other pretty much, it becomes, it changes the nature of play and it becomes a lot more like the card game Yomi, like a simultaneous action kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas the ball creates this extra level of like game state that makes it, uh, it, it gives it a little bit more like long arcs. It gives it a little bit more 
time between when players make inputs and when things happen. Um, another thing I like in fighting games is, is like projectiles because you shoot a projectile and there is some time as the projectile is flying and, and that players can like react to that, right? It's like, it's a sort of set amount of time. Um, and so, I, yeah, the game ARMS actually comes to mind. I never actually played ARMS, but I when I saw the trailer to it, I was like, yes, that seems like something that fighting games should experiment with more because it's it's like sort of turning basic attacks into projectiles. And anyway, I thought Barrel Berry Ball did that really well. This is kind of a rant. I don't have a question prepared, but um, uh, I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you have any thoughts about that? What are what do you think about fighting games? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's a screenshot of Barrel Berry Ball on that same page if you want to scroll to it. Oh, yeah, Def. Thanks. Uh, um, yeah, Barrel Berry Ball, kind of a, you click the little X on the video. On the top, okay. Right? Oh, there we go. Got it. And then it's somewhere near the bottom-ish. Uh, you'll find it. I will find um, it. Ah, uh, fourth from the top. Got it. Yeah. So it's a. Uh, it was a really interesting project, exactly like you're saying, um, like Street Fighter, like Smash Brothers, but wanted to develop something that was unique, but inspired by those things. And mm -hmm. Noah Sasso originally came up with the concept and the characters and hitting a ball around, and from there a lot of the hard design work was how to create really engaging and varied scenarios um, around this ball. Right. And the ball, what I love about it is that it speaks the same language as sports. So if you see it go into the goal, everybody gets that, like it's a point. Right. You see somebody running after it, everyone knows the ball is where they're trying to get to. And it focuses a lot of the action that would otherwise be very hard for people to understand. And um, and it has a lot of sport verbs, like just juking and narrowly getting it past someone and running with the ball and somebody chasing down, tackling. I'm like, it's really cool. Uh, and like you said, the ball itself is both the way you score and a projectile that you can use and the thing you fight over. And it's just a lot of interesting situations come from that. Yeah, like one of my, I have a, I have a not complicated relationship with fighting games because you know I grew up playing them. I, um, my biggest fighting game was actually Smash Brothers '64, and I'd also love to talk to you about that a little bit, um, and talk to you about the general Smash Brothers games over time and what what you think of them because I have a feeling we're gonna have like exactly inverted opinions about which <laughs> Smash Brothers are, but maybe not. We'll see. Um, but uh, the uh, uh, Marcus says put a ball hashtag put a ball in every game. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, to me, the threat in fighting games, the, the thing I'm concerned with is that they will be like two people just in a little box, kind of like mashing stuff around and someone, someone wins, you know what I mean? Like, and sometimes it comes down to that. Like if you have two evenly matched players and you both are like in Smash Brothers, let's say you both have like 150 damage or something like that. And, mm -hmm. and, and you're like. It's, it's been like four stocks and it's the last stock now. You both have one stock left and 150 damage. And it's gonna kind of come down to like, someone's just gonna land a hit. You know what I mean? Like, and, <laughs> uh, and, and, it's, and, and so it's kind of like, um, the, the, there was so much meaning built throughout that whole thing, but a lot of that meaning gets like, is just kind of wiped away. Um, because, uh, you know, players, players are moving around so quickly, uh, stocks sort of reset things. That's a, that's a Smash Brothers particular issue. But, um, you know, in Street Fighter, for example, you know, like maybe I jump over here, you jump over there. And then like, it just, it doesn't have its own, um, 
like engine that's just like happening and going in the way that some other games do. So like it's very player driven. Um, and so anyway, my, my concern, like the way that I, when I'm being my least fair, I will call fighting games just like, you know, two dudes in a box, just like, like slap fighting each other. And then someone falls over. Um, and uh, that's, that's not fair, but I want like if even that's one percent true um I, I want to like move in the direction away from that and i think that something like a ball is part of what can do that also things like i mean my favorite thing about smash brothers too is um the fact that um because of the damage percentage your position on the stage always matters if you're standing in the middle of the stage it always means something different than if you're standing at the edge of the stage uh, because it takes less damage to kill you when you're at the edge of the stage. Um, and, and that kind of stuff, where it's like everything's more structurally built in. And I felt like Smash Brothers 64 was like this, you know, lightning bolt of, uh, of like innovation uh, for fighting games. And then since then, they've kind of been like, let's just, let's just make it a little more of like a normal fighting game. That's, that's how I generally felt the trajectory has gone. But why don't you respond to all that weird stuff I just said? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. Fighting games are strategic action games, and kind of like in real life, uh, when you get down to it, you know, action is bodies and and events done through time, and because of our consciousness and kind of the way we perceive the world, there is a degree to which we there's a little bit of a I can't react to what you do, you can't react to what I do. So all it is is how it plays out uh, as a result. And we mm -hmm. kind of use physics and, and interactions and balls to kind of make a very clear, it went into the hoop or it did not go into the hoop mm, kind of yeah. distinction. And from there, we, we play ball. Um, you can't get rid of that act aspect in an action game, especially ones that are modeled after the real life uh, activities like fighting and sports and stuff. Mm -hmm. That is, I think, the part that people uh, or it's an inseparable part of what people like at all the levels of the game, where one person's mostly in control and the other person's responding. Both people are kind of in control and they're passing it back and forth, or so on and so forth. Like different scenarios are all dependent on that real time reality. Mm -hmm. There are ways to mitigate it, of course. You can always attempt to uh, put more incentive on you know, having players back up or, or play to other systems in your game. But I don't think you're ever going to get rid of that unless you just don't want to make a real-time game. Right. It's interesting that, that you were yeah. talking about Yomi and uh, it being a card game which turn-based. Right, yeah, yeah. Yomi, I, I love the card game Yomi that exists because it's such a good example of... You know, I think he did capture um, uh, Street Fighter, something about playing Street Fighter quite well um, in that there's that, you know, simultaneous rock, paper, scissors sort of thing. And um, but I think everyone who plays the card game Yomi sort of experiences a little bit of that, like, um, you know, sometimes you can just go like five turns and you just guess wrong. And it feels the guessing is really highlighted, the, the, whether you're, you're guessing in this very binary sort of way. Um, and it's, 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 I, that feeling is, is, is very strong in Yomi. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. I had another thought about, uh, Smash Brothers that I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And sports. So you were talking about sports and how there's that real time, um, thing about sports. And I, I agree with that. And I think that we'll always have some amount of that kind of like black box, um, uh, like 
just some mysterious shit happened and then you know like it, and it's and like not a lot of meaning was necessarily built um, and that'll happen sometimes and that's that's not really what I'm fighting against as much as like if you look at some sports like American football or even um, baseball or um, or even even soccer and things like that I mean part of it's because they're team games but team game aside um, think about like playing one player you know Madden like a, there's a Madden there's like people play Madden very seriously right and that's so it's like sort of a one player game but you have all this structure you have all these like different positions um, you have all these like uh, and, and someone said in chat American football is the worst sport game ever sure whatever pick it, pick whatever one you want like uh, baseball has all these positions right has all these um, and, and that positionality and that specific uh, you know little diamond of bases in baseball um, uh, and so that's that's kind of some of that is like so, sort of what I feel like is missing from a lot of fighting games um, where there's just not a lot of structure. And that's one, one, one thing I love about Smash Brothers is that you have, you know, you have moving platforms, you have like ramps, you have like bumpers, you have uh, all this structure. Barabari Ball, I think, also has some of that, which is really cool. Um, and whereas Street Fighter is a box, you're in a rectangle, um, you know, and so uh, that's that's something that I would also like to see more is like that structure, uh, because that stuff is stuff that helps people to build meaning into the actions, um, uh, you know, like uh, you 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 go up onto this ramp and it's like now we're on this new part of the game where I'm up on the ramp. I jumped up onto the, the or the like the platform, right? I jumped up on this platform and now we're at a new point in the game and now things have changed. Not because I'm up here. You know what I mean? Whereas mm. uh, there's less of that when you're just in a rectangle. What do you think of that? Yeah, the 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 very minimal requirements you need to create a fighting game is just some some little fighter dudes and some space for them to fight in. So naturally, the uh, the box design is like minimus, yeah, minimal effort. So like in tradition, you follow a game series. They usually just do what they've done. So you're probably not going to see Street Fighter change that. And you're not going to see uh, Samurai Showdown change that or Marvel vs. Capcom. Right. So it's nice to get new IPs like Smash Brothers and Arms, where Arms is in a 3D arena with breakable objects that. The breakable objects don't return between rounds, so you got a little bit of uh, carryover right there. Mm, That's nice. interesting. And um, and and what you said um, what the hard part to understand about a fighting game in terms of its depth is that that complexity and structure is there, but it's not. It's spelled out over time and through their actions. So imagine that if Madden or, or a screen like that in baseball, playing in baseball was like a, a whole bunch of notes written for every player. And if you got like 10, 12 players on the field per side, you'd have about 10 to 15 notes for them to execute a strategy and go and they try to execute it. Mm -hmm. But for, for a fighting game, those notes are, there's only one player on the field per side. Those notes are given like one at a time but mm -hmm. they're strung together so you read the message more like a sequence rather than like an image. Mm. And when both people are talking at the same time, yeah, sports are very back and forth. There's always an offensive side and a defensive side. Mm -hmm. But in a fighting game, both players are talking at the same time. Right. So that's simultaneous communication of the same complexity being run through over time. Both you listening to your opponent and talking to them is a, an interesting way to uh, understand where that structure is mm -hmm. and I work with a lot of people who are trying to improve in Smash 
and the thing that they don't get, they just think the game is just a bunch of moves and kind of changing it up whenever they think their opponent is uh, getting getting used to how they play. But it's really this much bigger conversation that extends way deeper into their own pool of techniques and assumptions and fears, and then likewise for their opponent. And then spelling it out over time is whoever can basically listen the best will be able to overcome. So even in a lot of situations that look like scrambles in fighting games, there are some players who, for, for whatever reason, their background, their training, their decision-making just always come out on top. And mm -hmm. we say that they have clutch. And it's not because they are good rock, paper, scissors players or that they're the luckiest people on earth. It's that somewhere in that deep line of all that conversating, they picked up on something or believe in something to allow them to come out on top for the people who can't hear it kind of a thing. Okay, yeah, I, I, I think I get that. And I, I uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm, uh, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to like demonstrate that that's a real thing, like in yeah. a concrete way. It's sort of a, it's a narrativized um, way to, uh, I, I agree with you. I totally know what you're talking about, but I just also feel like, you know, how much of that is like mythology, like sports mythology and like um, that we're just um, we're just like, you know, there's a cloud and it looks like a turtle, that kind of thing. Um, uh, but no, I, yeah, I think that's I think that's valid. Um, yeah. So so Smash Brothers, what do you think of Smash Brothers 64? What's your opinion about Smash Brothers 64 as compared to the others? Yeah, it's, it's my least favorite Smash, but uh, it's the it definitely got to the core of what Smash is on its first outing, which is really cool. Uh, competitively, it kind of competitive plays its own beast, and it's probably one of the least balanced. I agree with that, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but be beyond that, it's just, it's interesting. It's got all the items, it's got like the modes, it's four players, it's got teams, it's got uh, all the cool stuff that I love about Smash. Um, so yeah, as long as people don't take it too, too seriously, you'll still see a lot of the variety and fun, uh, unpredictable action that is typical for the series. Yeah. The, um, the, uh, so like what I think about a lot is like, uh, sometimes I talk to, uh, you know, someone like yourself or someone like Serlin who has been involved in, uh, pro communities. I've had like very tangential, uh, pro uh, experience. I played in a couple of melee tournaments in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, but I'm very, very tangentially, you know, I never was like, I want to go pro and do this professionally ever. Um, <laughs> actually with any game, to be honest, but I, uh, uh, but so, so, I, I wonder, like, so for me, what's really important is, like, what is the experience of, I guess, just the average player? Not someone yeah. who's, like, you know, like a child and can barely play, and not someone who is, like, I've devoted my life to this. I mean, I, I think it's worth making considerations for both of those, mm -hmm. but I also think... Um, Someone just started printing something. Um, I also think that the average player, you know, like intermediates, anywhere in between those poles, really, is what I really care about. And mm -hmm. so for me, for Smash Brothers 64, um, you know, I've been playing that for since it came out. Uh, and I kind of didn't really ever stop. So I'm like pretty, I'm pretty darn good at it, but I never was like, I'm gonna like, you know, drill and practice and train and anything like that. Um, but, uh, but I still am not at that point that I've seen pro players of Smash Brothers 64 and some of the stuff that happens is super degenerate. It's not, mm -hmm. it's really not ready for that kind of treatment. Um, 
But it's it's it seems to me that um, for the vast majority of people who ever interact with uh, Smash Brothers 64, it's major problems, which I agree are like character balance, um, stuff like infinite throw chain loops and like all that, like really degenerate stuff. Um, that's just not going to be in the game for them. Like, it's just it's you mm -hmm. know, do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, They'll never know unless we tell them. <laughs> right, exactly. And then the other thing about Smash Bros. 64 that I like so much is that, and I wonder how if you think this is true, or but it seems to me that Smash Bros. 64 is the most wild of all of them, and that like the physics are the most um, kind of, and I don't know if this to be factually true, but it just seems to me that the physics are the most, um, they just follow their own rules. Uh, and they, they're like, so in some of the Smash Brothers games, I sort of get the sense that I'll smash attack somebody and there's some canned trajectory that they're going to like launch off in. And it's very like, it's very like carefully balanced and like not too strong. And, uh, you know, and whereas Smash Brothers 64 seems like, you know, sometimes you can just like, you know, uh, like hit someone in the, just the right spot and they just like die at like 25 or 30%. Um, you can do all this like, you know what I mean? Silly stuff. Um, and it feels the most physics-y to me. I don't know, is that, is that wrong or what do you, what do you think? Uh, I think, I think the basic way that the knockback and things like that are calculated is largely the same. Okay. There's, there are techniques in all the different smashes that kind of make things look really weird. There's some DI things you can do in Melee that make you move around in a triangle instead of flying away in an arc and stuff where you, you hit somebody on the ground, they just fly up into the sky for no reason kind of a stuff. Yeah. Um, I think a little bit of that is those interactions are were always potentially there, but some players and some matchups will bring it out a lot more than others. And then there's there's the thing with Smash Brothers, the attacks are a lot more complex than what you see in Street Fighter. Mm -hmm. Each attack may have multiple zones, sweet spots. Uh, each attack may change its properties if they're like held out over time if you hit the beginning part or the later part and stuff like that. So I think some of what you might be reacting to is, oh, these attacks are a lot more complex than I thought and somebody's exploiting it. So it makes it look way different than what I expected. But yeah, it's definitely in there somewhere. There's some weird things people do. <laughs> yeah, like so So I, I envision a game that's like, uh, well, so, so Smash Bros. 64 is also a bit slower, it seems to me, yeah, than any of yeah. them. Um, and I think you do have less DI than you have in the other games, or maybe none. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah it's, it's less, and then they also have this, like, super weird thing they do where they do reverse it when they're uh, going to the ledge. I don't know how they do it. Oh, <laughs> weird. Well, like, yes. When they hit out, they, like, bounce and flip back towards the stage. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, so the later ones have... Um, yeah, it feels, it sometimes feels to me like, um, oh, your recovery is really, uh, really good in the later games, I feel like. So to, to the extent that, like, a lot of times you can't really kill someone unless you have them hit the, is there a name for that box, the death box around the edges? Oh, yeah, the blast zone. Yeah, you can't kill them unless you make them hit the blast zone. Um, uh, it feels like that to me sometimes in the newer ones. And so, and, and so there's a way in which that becomes, did you play PlayStation All-Stars? Yes, a little bit. Um, yeah, so that game, to me, it sort of, like, missed the point of the damage percentage mm -hmm. um, because it just sort of, be, you know, damage percentage can be treated in such a way that it becomes just a health bar, kind of. Yeah, yeah. And I sort of feel like the Sma the later Smash Brothers, like, if you can't, if you if you just have to fill up the damage percentage and then smash attack them, and that's, it's like, 
it might as well be a health bar. And I sort of feel like the later ones are more like that, but I, I, maybe I'm wrong because I haven't played them nearly as much as I played uh, 64. So that may be part of it is that there's, you know, there's, there's these particularities that you have to be aware of. Yeah, yeah. In Smash 64, I think the characters had some of the hardest times recovering mm -hmm. uh, just because. And then in Melee, uh, some characters can recover decently well, but otherwise characters have a hard time recovering uh, especially with the way that the ledge was designed. And then Incrubbery's improved overall in Brawl, uh, and then got a little worse, a little nerfed in Smash 4, and now in Ultimate they're at an interesting place where it's totally possible to gimp people, as they say, and kill yeah. them early and set them up for these surprising early KOs. But that always takes time to discover. And with mm. more characters, right, it's going to take even longer, I think, because uh, there's just too many things to get used to, so people just kind of default to, I'll just do this one thing that works for all the characters by staying on the stage. Mm -hmm. And there are pros and cons to that, but yeah, a lot of it is just due to the increasing characters uh, mm -hmm. in the game and just the game's the design for its balance of recovery. So how would you rank the existing Smash Brothers games and say a little bit about each of them, if you would, just like a sentence or two? Uh, or more, yeah, if you like. Yeah, yeah. I just rank them in chronological order. Uh, Smash Ultimate is a really interesting balance of a lot of the stuff that people liked from their favorite Smashes, like all the Smashes, basically. Um, Smash 4 was really good at um, redefining this new level of Smash that basically Ultimate refined. Uh, so Smash 4 has some little bit of janky things that happened, but a lot of that was smoothed over by Ultimate, and I love Smash 4. Uh, it did DLC and a lot of other things really, really well. Uh, it made it more accessible by being available on 3DS. Uh, and of course, decent online play. It's decent. Smash Brawl was interesting. It had like the whole Meta Knight balance problem, and a lot of people, uh, there. that's when the schism happened between Melee and Brawl. But essentially, one thing Brawl definitely added was a, um, ranged play right projectiles and, and a new a few new classes of characters that could play and compete in a new way and melee pretty much only has brawlers and rushdown characters now so, you're talking um, about at the pro level though right yeah at a high level uh, in yeah. general just all the games keep adding more and more diverse characters over time for and, the high level or just in general well so yeah the more balanced the game is the more you'll see these characters and general the general player it's just more and more fun with each game just more characters that they love mm -hmm. And the fact that Ultimate brought back all the fighters is really great for people. Um, yeah, and then Melee was like, I can't believe they made this this fast after Smash 64. This is great. Uh, the graphics are great. The music's great. Everything. I never could have believed that they could have turned that around that fast. Uh, yeah, and Melee was at an interesting time where the community could grow around competitive play. Mm-hmm. So that's why it did. It just started with a lot of grassroots effort, and that's where I started. So uh, that's where my roots are. And Smash 64 defined everything. So each so, of them for their own different reason. So you don't have, like, a favorite or a least favorite? I guess you said 64 was your least favorite. But would yeah. you, what's, what's your favorite one? I like Smash Ultimate, hmm. the newest one. Mm -hmm. It's got a, Especially when you see at the high level and you just see characters, so many different characters, and people truly sinking into the unique play styles of these characters, making them characters people just write off as making them look so strong. That's super exciting. King that King is Girl cool. And day-to-days and, and stuff showing up out of nowhere. <laughs> so, 
That's cool. Yeah, I I I generally my least favorite one is probably Brawl. Um, the, to me, that seemed like you know my narrative of, and how I understand Smash Brothers and think about Smash Brothers is Brawl is where they really were like, we want this to kind of be a party game. Um, and so that's when they started like, um, uh, well, there was a lot more focus on things like the, the smash ball, which I you know you can turn that off and whatever, but, um, uh, they didn't have like random tripping and things like that. Yeah. Um, notorious tripping. Yeah. 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 And so that one seemed like the most, and then I don't, I can't, I can't explain it exactly if I, I'd have to like really go in and look at it, but there's like a blurriness or a messiness to the, um, to to the combat in all of the Smash Brothers, I feel like going uh, from Brawl on. Although I do think I, my probably my second favorite of all the Smash Brothers is the latest one, um, Ultimate, mm. um, which is kind of we a little bit agree, I guess, on that one being um, good because I feel like that one's like they step they definitely stepped back a little bit from uh, from from the blurry, messy party game ish kind of feel of of Brawl. And it doesn't have um, so the things that I hate the most about melee are I think it's way too fast and I hate wave dashing and I hate um, I'm really glad that they got rid of one of my favorite latest uh, Smash Brothers changes is they got rid of um, that you could arbitrarily choose a direction to air dodge in I think that's like that's like to me it, whenever you have a jump in a game like you, there's a, there's a certain amount of like respecting the arc of the jump that that is really crucial for because that jump trajectory is like where that meaning that we we're talking about like lives and so mm -hmm. if you just let someone at any point in the jump just teleport invincibly to any spot it's like I know that there's like counterplay and you know if they mess it up and whatever um but it's like there's a fundamental like not respecting the jump not respecting the arc uh, there and I think that now they've made it that you can only air dodge in the direction you were moving. Is that right? Uh, they they have a blend of the melee style and the Smash Four style, mm -hmm. so you can just uh, you air dodge without or while respecting the arc and you recover faster. Mm -hmm. But if you do the other kind, it takes so long to recover that I see. you kind of have to use it in a more specialized way. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, that, that's my that's my Smash Brothers tier list. I played a lot of Melee. I, I that one I I um, but it, in hindsight, when I go back to playing Melee now, I'm just kind of like, I'm just kind of like, wow, this is like, this is the most like this <laughs> of of any of them. You know, like because you, you're doing like these super fast wave dashes and stuff, um, and it's just I don't know, and and. It got it got pretty bad in the pro scene when I was playing it. There was people just doing the. It was just like a wave dash. Try to um, what's the fox move with the down and B? Uh, uh, shine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like it wave reflected. dash, wave dash, shine, reflect. It was just like it got very silly. I feel like at a certain point. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, uh, what else uh, are you playing? Are you playing uh, playing any other things these days? New games. I'm dabbling in dreams for PS4. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? What What is that? I haven't played it. I don't know much about it. It's an entire game creation uh, platform that's like a game. Everything's gamey like Mario Maker, but it's for every aspect of game creation, like making your own logic, making your own sculptures, huh. uh, characters, rigs, puppets, animation, sound, wow. levels. So it's like a UI. gamified Unity or something? Yeah, it's just a really creative sort of trying to make every aspect one doable on a controller and two 
be really smooth so that people can um, actually make things. Uh, and another cool thing is people, at least right now, are fairly generous with sharing their stuff. So you can just grab something you think is cool and then instantly start remixing it and using it and playing around with their design. So the so okay so in general whenever one of these like uh you know make your own like like Mario Maker I kind of had this experience so like I'm my day job is making levels for things and like you know doing game development in Unity and things like that and so like the idea that I'm gonna go and play a game development game which is like this you know like oh you can kind of do it uh, on a controller like dancing bear kind of thing those they feel like why would I do that with my free time like I would I'll just I want to make if I want to make a like a strategy game or something I'm just gonna like hop into unity and make it you know mm -hmm. um, but I think what you're maybe gonna say and is that the reason to do this is that uh, they've they've like made it very easy to like intermix and like remix and mod each other's work and it's sort of more of a social thing Mm -hmm. Yeah, hopefully it all turns into one big shared dream experience where characters and events and things from other people's games just start hanging out in other people's worlds and games and just keep remixing it. Hmm. That'd be really cool. Um, I do find it interesting the kind of person that's attracted to putting tons of time into dreams. Somebody made uh, SimCity, basically. It's a city hmm. simulator. Other people have made like the really crazy mathematical calculator kind of things out of stuff and remade games like Mario Odyssey style movement. And it's just really interesting how much work it takes to do that. And the type of person who wouldn't just jump onto Unity. Yeah, that's, yeah. oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, like, I don't know. That's a really interesting thing. Um, but I'm, I'm, that sounds really interesting to me, especially if you can just like make, you can make like card games, strategy games, and you can do multiplayer. Mm -hmm. I assume it's like pretty mm -hmm. good, easy to like have new players hop in and just play your thing with you. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how does it do like logic and like scripting type of, like the stuff that rules enforcement? How would, how does it do that? They got their <laughs> own logic system that's based on microchips, and with every microchip, you can kind of zoom in and connect the wires from any input to output to a, a math logic operator to anything else, and make so like construct pads. Have you seen construct? Uh, no. Let me uh, show you. It reminds me of Microsoft or. A, Unreal Blueprints, basically. Um, uh, shoot, I think it was Construct that has this. Anyway, a few different things have this uh, thing where, uh, oh wait, is this it? Kind of, no, there's a more graphical, anyway, it has some kind of graphical, like uh, a graphical, I don't know. There's this thing where you could like plug in all these um, like logic chains to each other. Actually a bunch of different programming, uh, yeah, programming apps. Oh, Blocks, that's what it is. Maybe it was Game Maker. Uh, maybe that's what I was thinking of. Uh, but anyway, so it works like that kind of, basically? Yeah, the, the first screenshot on the top left shows some of the blocks. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So you make these blocks and then, yeah, okay, cool. Interesting. But yeah, this is more, uh, like blueprints where it's kind of two-dimensional and you can drag wires and stuff everywhere. And they, get, they provide a ton of tools, so I think you can pretty much make anything. Hmm. That's really cool. Um, can people sell their games that they make in Dreams or no? Yeah, yeah. right now there's there's no way to monetize it, but I think me and Monocle said they're looking into a way where you can submit your game, and if it passes their cert, they, you, they can make it accessible for people who don't own Dreams, either oh, on wow. PC and or on PlayStation, and then you can monetize that. 
I bet you they're going to give people like 10% for their uh, sales. <laughs> I bet you I anything. <laughs> the fact that they sold Dreams for 40 bucks instead of 60 and they worked on it for like nine years or whatever. I don't know if they're really looking to turn a profit like that. Okay. Who, knows? who, who, knows? who made Dreams? Media Molecule, Little Big Planet, Tearaway, Ragdoll Kung Fu, uh, Peoples. Oh my God, Ragdoll Kung Fu. That was another one of the um, times where I was like, whoa, someone did something really different in fighting games. Uh, did you play a lot of Ragdoll Kung Fu? Yeah, I played a lot of it. Me too. I loved Ragdoll Kung Fu. It's like, can I still play that? I for I God, I forgot about that for like 10 years. Yeah, Blue uh, is really good at the crafty, creative, cutesy, hands-on kind of art style. Mm-hmm. And I love Little Big Planet. I never played Little Big Racer. I never even heard of Little Big Racer, but I also didn't play Little Big Planet. Um, yeah, I think I've probably had too much of an aversion of from these kinds of things. Like, I think that there's, you know, I, I tried to, I got uh, Mario uh, Maker, and I try, I messed around with that a little bit. Um, but I, you know, that's pretty li pretty limited in the kinds of games that you can make. Um, but yeah, I say I because I always have this feeling of like, yeah, I could like learn this and get good at this, or I could just keep like learning, and getting better with Unity yeah. because, um, and it's like. But at the same time, like there's, it's a hard choice to make because there's something really social about being a part of a thing that's happening, right? Like M Mario Maker was like also a moment in time, and um, and I think you did a really good job of like uh, being there in that moment with that workshop. I thought that was a really like smart, cool idea, um, and that worked out really well, right? Like you got a lot of stuff, a lot of people interacting and making stuff and getting feedback, and right, that was like a good community building thing. Yeah ton of fun uh still with a lot of the people that joined in the mario maker and they're still talking about mario and we're still thinking about level design and kind of rolling forward with all that hard work and trying to keep it going so mm -hmm. it's a really cool experience everyone learned something and we're looking to kind of expand that in any way we can do you think you might do something like that again maybe with dreams or another thing like that yeah it's totally possible we're looking into it uh yeah because if, if it took up, if it takes up as much time as the Mario Maker Workshop did, then I have to seriously plan around it. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. What about? Uh, we're coming on an hour, or so let's you know maybe we'll wrap it up a little bit soon. But I want to ask you, what are you? What can we maybe see from you in the future? Like, are you? Do you have uh, after you're done uh, wrapping up the end of uh, of um, uh, the, your puzzle game, uh, yeah, yeah. Enlighten? uh what are you what are you gonna do next you think yeah, any thoughts? Uh, a lot of the people from the mario maker workshop are creative and talented and we're all looking to kind of pull our efforts into something that isn't stuck inside of somebody else's ip so we're kind of doing some early research and seeing what any uh, what how much time people have moving forward and hopefully going to start rolling forward with other ips and new ips and and products that we can actually sell Nice. So you're trying to do like a community game sort of thing where you all just like contribute where you can type of thing or? Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely need to do something a little more freeform than the traditional game dev studio type structure. Right. That's cool. Good luck with that. Um, we have a question. Is Bar Bari Ball ever coming to PC? I'm also curious about that. Coming to, what did you say? PC. 
or any yeah, other platform. Yeah, it's on. It's on uh, Steam. It's called Sports Friends. It's, oh, uh, it is. Yeah, three. We couldn't get the Johann Sebastian Joust to work with the Move controllers on a PC. Okay. So it's basically three indie games in one, uh, and Sport and Bar Bar Ball is one of them. Nice. Uh, can you? Can you? Is there like online play or? Um... <laughs> I think we tried to do it with playstations and steam's little like share controller thing didn't quite oh, okay. get to work yet gotcha <laughs> so gotcha no online play <laughs> i see i see but yeah there's bots if i recall correctly right or something so you can play against bots no bots so so wait how can i play barabari ball then you need some friends oh you play oh i see okay all right all right yeah. okay got it yeah. well this is actually a really perfect time for that because no one can leave their house right now yeah. so <laughs> Yeah, uh, it was at the end of the era of local multiplayer games with no right. online play. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, cool. Well, I'm glad that it's not like just stuck on, um, you know, on PS3 or anything. That's really cool. Uh, yeah. Um, any other any other projects you got coming up or any other games you're playing? Are you playing the Animal Crossing game? What's your opinion yeah, on that? I, yeah, I caved and bought it because uh, everyone's so hyped about it, <laughs> and we're all cooped up. So it lets me fly out to an island on somebody else's world every mm -hmm. now and then. So how are you playing that? Do you like it? What's your opinion? Give me some yeah, thoughts. Yeah, I, I played the original Animal Crossing, and then uh, I felt like the DS one since. But so, coming back can you to say it, that again? You cut out a little bit there. Oh. The DS one was what? I played the original, and the DS one was not very... I didn't like it. It was neat, but uh, I had already like maxed out Animal Crossing on, sure. or on GameCube, so I felt like it was more the same. Uh-huh. And I haven't played it since, but I got this new one and I'm kind of getting back in the groove. So I'm enjoying it. Nice. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, I've been sort of uh, hesitant to get into those kinds of things because I feel like they're they're very like addictive and they're very like, um, like you just sort of end up compulsively playing them. Like if you if you really get into them, it's like they, they really kind of grab you and suck you in and like then they have like these daily things you have to go check these daily things every day and um so that's been a, a point of hesitation for me to get into them yeah. but yeah. but uh my girlfriend got it and so now i can't get it actually because they have a thing where you basically can only have one account per switch i don't know if you know yeah. about that but i think you share an island no matter what. yeah yeah so so i mean i can like troll her uh that's about all i can do <laughs> Um, but, uh, I can't really like build stuff and do stuff cause there's finite resources on the island. <laughs> Don't let that stop you. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Uh, well, awesome. Thanks for coming by and chatting and, uh, but is there anything you want to like plug or talk about things that are coming up or websites that you want people to check out or DO things that are happening, events, things like that? Yeah. Yeah. Whether, whether you check out the, uh, design oriented Twitter or our discord, uh, we're just brainstorming a lot of interesting ways to build games together and learn about games together. Uh, so that's getting more and more serious by the day. If you're curious, just stop on by and I can always answer your questions. Sweet. Well, thank you as always. Um, Kirby Kid, Richard Terrell um, has been a good chat. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say or ask or talk about before we wrap it up. I'm all good. Thanks all right, for cool. having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anytime. All right. Well, I'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. Peace.